Good morning. It is jam-packed. It's great. It's great to see all your faces. Um, for those of you that may not know who I am, my name is uh, Rich Perez. I uh, have been here at Emmanuel uh, a number of times. Uh, your leaders and pastors have trusted me uh, to share the word in the past, and I'm grateful for that. Um, I'm from New York City. Again, I don't know who's here. Uh, I don't know how many new faces we have. I, I haven't been here in the last few months, but uh, I'm from New York City originally. My, my wife and I and our kids uh, moved here to Atlanta. It'll be two years uh, in this in next month. Wow. Okay, yeah, it'll be two years next month since we moved from New York here. Uh, I pastored a, a church out in New York City uh, before transitioning and now doing some other work, but Nonetheless, I'm grateful to be here with you, with you guys and grateful to uh, be reading God's word and trying to understand what he has for us today from the book of Ephesians chapter 1 verses 1 through 14. I'll read this for us and then we'll jump right in. that cool? I was going to do it anyways, but I'm just try <laughs> trying to be courteous. But uh, <laughs> I'm reading from the CSB version. You'll see it here on the screen. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, to the faithful saints in Christ Jesus at Ephesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the, in the heavens in Christ. For he chose us in him, before the foundations of the world, to be holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself, according to his good pleasure, uh, to the good pleasure of his will. Uh, to the praise, sorry, of his glorious grace, he lavished on us in his beloved one. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace that he richly poured on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he purposed in Christ as a plan for the right time to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth in him in him we have also received an inheritance because we were predestined according to the plan of the one who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of his will so that we who had already put our hope in Christ might bring praise to his glory in him you also when you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation and when also you believed were sealed in him with the promised Holy Spirit, he is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. This is the word of the Lord. Um, you know, I, I really have trouble thinking about uh, the time when I'm no longer here. Uh, I love my family. Uh, I often talk about them whenever I get the chance because they're such a huge part of my life in shaping who I am, 
and the way that I see the world. My wife and I have been married for 15 years. We've got a 14-year-old son and a 10-year-old daughter, and they're fantastic. Truly, I love being with my family. If I ever, uh, you know, have the chance of doing something, an activity that I love, or being with my family, I often just choose to be with my family. And I don't say that uh, to sound in any way other than that's just the truth. I really enjoy my family. But I have a hard time because of that thinking about the moments when I'm no longer here to be with them. Uh, A few years ago, I started this practice of journaling my thoughts to my kids. I have a notebook for each of them um, and for my wife. Uh, Any thought that comes across my head uh, that I want to share with my kids, often I just share with them or share that time with them. Uh, But I try to replicate it in this journal, or if I don't get the chance to engage with them on that thing that I had in mind for whatever reason, I just ensure to write it down in this journal. Now, I don't do that perfectly. I don't do it all the time, uh, but I do my best to try to capture my thoughts. And, And what has motivated and inspired me to do that is the idea that I think my company, who I am, Uh, is worth far more than the things that I can give them. And I think that those journals, when the time comes when I'm no longer here, uh, which, Lord willing, is not anytime soon, uh, my kids can have that notebook and in a sense, in a way, have a sense of my company, who I am, my thoughts with them. And I think this is in some ways part of what this opening to Ephesians offers us. We sang earlier about the resurrection of Jesus, what it means to us. And I think that as we think on and reflect on the resurrection of Jesus and what it means, we have to consider a few realities. And the first one is the reality of God's generosity. That if the resurrection of Jesus means anything, it means the reality of living in God's generosity. Look at verse 3. Verse 3 kind of gives us the heartbeat of this entire uh, song that Paul opens up with. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. Now, none of us are strangers to the feelings of things being taken away from us. In fact, all of us are coming out of this pandemic season that has altered or taken a lot of things from us. For some, family has been taken from us. Jobs have been taken from us or at least altered. The idea of the way that we existed before has been taken from us. Our health, for some of us, has been taken from us. Our sanity has been taken from us. Our rhythms have been taken from us. And over the course of our lives, we have become acquainted with the feeling of loss to a larger degree or a smaller degree, but all of us have become very acquainted with this feeling of loss. Even the author, Paul himself, as he writes this letter, finds himself in the middle of a circumstance and feeling that is similar to this idea of loss. Paul is writing this letter from prison. And he perhaps also has been taken uh, away from some things that he is familiar with. He knows the feeling of loss. And he begins 
in this circumstance by singing because this is considered what we call a doxology, a song of praise, this opening. He begins by singing these words that don't match his circumstance. They don't match his current reality, yet somehow he finds the way to sing, Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. As he sits in prison, stripped from his liberties and many other things that I'm sure he would like to have access to. But if you notice in this song, at least in, these, uh, in this opening, he calls three things blessed. He calls God himself blessed. He calls what God did blessed. And he calls what God gives blessed. The first thing that I think is comforting about that is that God is shown here as a giver. And so in light of the feelings of things being taken away from us, things being altered in such dramatic ways as they have been over the last few years, or perhaps for many of us over the course of our lives, what is comforting is that God is introduced to us as a God who gives. But maybe more compelling than a God who gives is the reality of how God gives. And there's something to be said when who God is, how God gives, and what God gives are all described using the same root word. It says that the nature of who of what God gives is the same as the nature of who God is and how he gives it. It says that God doesn't give the way that we do. You know, as a parent, um, over the years, I've been tempted to believe that any gift I give to my kids is better than giving them my company. And it sounds ridiculous even as I say it, but I think sometimes it feels easier to give your kids something uh, rather than to give your time to them, right? You know, you may be occupied with work or you've got a lot of things on your plate. So over the years as a parent, I, I think that sometimes I've been tempted to believe that any gift that I can give my kids is better than giving them myself. I'm tempted to believe that because it feels good to provide, right? It feels good to hand something off to our kids, even sometimes when they don't need it. And I think the reason why I've believed that at times is because I think that perhaps sometimes I believe life is mostly about the accumulating of things and not about the kind of people that we become and how your relationships play a role in who you become. So the idea of making space and or time to be with somebody, in this case, being in the company of my kids or giving them my time to pay attention to this, you know, silly little thing that they want me to pay attention to. Dad, let me show you this TikTok. I'm like, man, I got work to do, <laughs> you know. You know, this idea of making space for them to be with them when you have a multitude of things to do feels tempting to just give them something or have them be occupied with this thing that you can give them because you sometimes believe that life is mostly about the accumulating of things and that you believe oftentimes that the people that you're around are not as important as the things that you can have. Yet when we reach the end of our lives, when we lose someone, a parent, none of us ever say to ourselves, I wish they gave me more things. 
But what we often say is what? I wish we had more time. I wish we had more space to be with one another. Because somewhere deep inside, we deeply believe that what is most important is the kind of people that we become and the role that people and relationships play in who we become. And look, while I think it's true that giving a gift is an extension of yourself, it doesn't carry the same value as if we had given our very presence. The reason why the same word is used to describe God himself, what God did and what God gave, is so that we would be certain that God does not give the way that we do. That we would be certain that God doesn't simply give an extension of himself, but God gives us himself. God's very presence. Every spiritual blessing in the heavens, in Christ, almost as if to say everything that makes the idea of heaven desirable, everything that makes paradise something worth longing for, I'm going to give it to you. Even more so, I am going to wrap up all those blessings in my presence and I'm going to come to you in the form of my son so that when you have him, you have everything. See, when you understand God as a giver in this way, it makes sense when in verse 6 he says that he lavished these blessings on us in the beloved one. It makes sense that he uses that word lavish, excess, an overabundance. I have poured onto you all of the blessings because In Christ, we have all of God. So truly, he has lavished these blessings on us. The word lavish communicates when you give something in excess. When you're over the top with your generosity. It almost paints the picture when you walk into a dinner party and you see every kind of fruit, meat, sides, drinks, desserts on the table. This is how God gives. But the temptation, church, is to believe that God has given this generously so that you would enjoy it on your own. There is never a time that I've given away something, let alone been generous with it, and still remain with the same amount of that thing that I've given. Yet here the beauty The invitation of power that God is helping us to see is that God is the only one that could lavish us with something and still remain full of it. God is the only one that can lavish us with something and yet remain full of it. God does not run out of his presence, of his company. God invites us to see his generosity in the person of Jesus. And this leads me to my second thought, the second invitation that I think a risen Jesus invites us to. And that is the reality of communion with him. That when Jesus raises back to life, he is inviting us to have communion with him. Seven different times in our reading, 
we see this one phrase come up. In him. Or in Christ. And it's an interesting, interesting phrase to focus on, isn't it? In him. In him. It's almost as if Jesus is a place that we live in or a space that we occupy. Now remember, these opening verses for Paul, Paul are part of a song. As we said earlier, it's a doxology, a song of praise. And in this song, he praises God for what he has done, namely for adopting him or adopting us into the family of God through Jesus. So while he's sitting in jail, stripped of his liberties, isolated from relationships, he is thankful that although one reality has him in one place, another reality has him in another place. And this is perhaps the biggest challenge for many communities of faith or many people of faith. The idea of nuance. That seemingly two opposing thoughts can coexist. That Paul is sitting in prison, but he's thankful. Now, this isn't to say that he isn't, or I'm assuming, this isn't to say that if that he was sitting in this prison cell uh, very happy about his situation. But it is to say that somehow he was able to still be thankful. That while he's sitting in jail, stripped of his liberties, isolated from relationships, he is thankful that two things are true. That he has one reality causing certain uh, implications, but yet he has another reality motivating other implications. One reality has him in prison. Another reality has him in praise. One reality has him in chains. Another reality has him in song. And yet somehow I still can't get over the fact that these verses say that the outcome of God's kindness and forgiveness are in him. Going back to this phrase, in him and not in us. And I don't know about you, but this bothers me a little bit. Or at least it it motivates a lot of curiosity as to why these blessings are in Jesus and not in us. In us. And I hope it causes some curiosity in you. I can't get over the fact That the gifts of God's forgiveness, his healing, his redemption, his wholeness, his peace, his adoption into God's family are outcomes that are being brought into Jesus and not Jesus into us. And I think I'd be foolish, in fact, to to, to not see that Jesus lives in us through the Holy Spirit. This is what the Bible teaches us. But I think there's another important reason why he says that those things are in him rather than the other way around. I've mentioned this a few times here at Emmanuel, but back in New York City, our family of four for about 10 years lived in 600 square feet. And, you know, that's not anything to be pitied. It's just the way, in li- the way of life in New York City, right? It's just how you, uh, how you navigate uh, the housing situation in New York. You live in a box. And, and really, we just had two walls separating the different sections of our house, the you walk in, there was this long hallway, and to the left of it was our kids' bedroom that they shared up until we moved down here and moved into a mansion of three, 1,300 square feet. Um, 
And then beyond that, there was the, the, that wall that separated that bedroom and led us into the living room, kitchen, dining room, all in one space. And then another wall that took us into uh, our bedroom and the bathroom, the main bathroom. I was going to say the main bathroom, but it was the only bathroom in our house. Um, and our living room, as I mentioned, our living room, dining room, and kitchen was all smushed in what was probably 200 square feet, right? And even before quarantine happened, because we lived there for a few months uh, during quarantine in that space, even before quarantine, we had to set some rules on how we use the different spaces of our house, of our apartment, right? That if you wanted to take a peaceful, uninterrupted nap, you couldn't do that in the living room because someone was going to be in the living room either making dinner watching TV or eating the dinner, right? Say like a multi-use space. So if you wanted to take a nap uninterrupted and peaceful, you had to do that in one of the bedrooms. We had to determine how we were going to use each of the sections of our house because two activities that seemed to be competing with one another couldn't happen in a single room. You see, the nature of that room deeply influenced the way that we existed in it. See, if we only emphasize that Jesus is in us, which I do believe is true through his Holy Spirit, then I think we would be tempted to define how we live. And Jesus would simply be an accessory there. We determine because he's in us and we are the space that he occupies. But we determine how we live our lives. And Jesus is just a accessory decor in our space but if the invitation is to be in him now we're allowing Jesus to determine how we live being in Jesus shapes our lives like being in the room behind the wall shapes the way we exist in it being in Jesus shapes our lives like us being in the living room and saying, hey, you can't take a nap here because I'm cooking or I'm watching TV or I'm playing with the kids. So take the nap in the bedroom. It determines how we exist in the space. And the question that I've often, often had to ask myself as I try to grow spiritually and navigate my maturity in Jesus is what if we saw Jesus as the place that we live in? I think this is a remarkable invitation by God. And I think it matters to also see it this way for a few reasons. One, you don't try to fit Jesus into your way of living. No, you fit into the way of Jesus. Two, you're less tempted to see your journey as mostly about you. Jesus isn't in your house or in your space. You are in the space of Jesus. Three, you are more easily, uh, you more easily realize that there are others in him too. And as a result, your life now opens up with love and compa compassion for more than just yourself. You see, if we were to define Jesus as being in us simply or merely, and people would have to adopt to us and the way that we live, the way we see the world, the, the way that we make decisions. 
But if the heartbeat here that Paul is inviting us to through this song is to see that we are in Jesus, in him. And that the way that we see the world and the way that we understand ourselves is by being in his space. Then we wouldn't be surprised to see that others are there too. And that we are taking the shape of Jesus and not Jesus taking our shape. If we fail to see ourselves in Christ more than Christ in us, then we'll also fail to see others. Being with Christ means being with others. The resurrection of Jesus, which we celebrate every day, gives shape to this reality, these invitations of seeing the generosity of God, And seeing what it means to be in communion with Jesus, to live and exist in his space, taking his shape, seeing the world through his eyes, seeing others in the way that he does. The resurrection of Jesus gained what the Garden of Eden lost, access, God's presence and his blessing. You know, it's always fascinating to me when I think about... um, the Garden of Eden, and uh, the temptation and the fall of Adam and Eve as we read it in Genesis 1 and 2. And it's always fascinating to me to see how that scenario is curated for us in Scripture, right? That God creates this lavish garden, and then he creates humanity to exist in it, and then he empowers humanity to um, cultivate it. He even gives Adam the power to name the animals. And I imagine that with all that power and that dominion and that authority, um, that you lived with a sense of fullness and satisfaction that God created this place for you and invited you to be there. But then there was this one tree or this one thing in that whole place of such abundance that you couldn't access, that you couldn't touch, you couldn't uh, be with. And, and, and walking the garden in, in all of its abundance and power and authority that you have, but you came across this one tree. And I always ask myself, man, what is that? Why is that tree there? I wondered what they thought having walked the whole garden, having access to everything, and then coming across this one tree that they couldn't touch. I wonder what, it, what crossed their mind when they saw it. And often I thought to myself that at least two questions probably came to mind for them as they navigated the garden, the abundance that God had invited them to, the authority that he had given them. And yet this one tree sits in the middle that they cannot access, cannot touch. At least two questions I think probably would have ran through their mind. It would have ran through mine for sure. The first one is, can I trust God? And the second is, do I love him? Can I trust him enough that not having access to this is okay? Do I love him deeply enough to say that I don't need to access it because I have all in him? Well, of course, we know that Genesis shows us that they lost access to God as he brought them out of that place of abundance and sent them east. They lost access to God because they chose to not trust him and to not show his love for him. What Jesus gains for us is what we lost in the garden, access to God's presence and his blessing. 
And what's the evidence that we've taken a hold of communion with God? Well, we become forgiving people. We become hopeful people. We become peacemakers. We become creative people. Jesus is the place where heaven and earth meet. He is the door that connects these worlds together. And perhaps this is why the psalmist, in the midst of his own chaos, dealing with his own shame, his own guilt from the sins that he he had committed, from the hurt that he had caused, this is perhaps why that psalmist, in the midst of his chaos and trouble, sings. You see it here, I think. Uh, You are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble. You surround me with joyful shouts of deliverance. The context of this psalm in Psalm 32 is not something beautiful. The circumstance is that this man had committed sin and hurt people. And now he sits in his shame and here he is now singing praises to God. The resurrection of Jesus reminds us that no tomb is safe. That the empty tomb of Jesus is a threat to all, that, all the things in your life that want to live in tombs, that want to live in death. And that is true today. The good news that Jesus is alive and invites us to is to live in, the rea- in that reality for ourselves, that we would live as children. And this brings me to my last thought as we wrap The resurrection of Jesus invites us to live as children, the reality of being children of God. It wasn't enough for God to just generously give us the right to be children. He also gave us the spirit of children because, you know, of course, it's one thing to call yourself a child of God or to assume that we are children of God. It's another thing to find the desire, intention, and motivation to live as children. It's one thing to, for someone to be given the right to be part of a family. It's another to live as your family does. It's one thing to be given the right to be called a child of God. It's another one to live as one. Adopt, adopt, adoptive parents uh, know that this is true. They, they, they go through the legal process, the paperwork, the payment, to have the right to call their child their own, the ones that they are adopting. And when they do, that child can legally consider themselves to be part of that family. Yet if you ask any adoptive parents, they will tell you that they still have the task to help that child learn how to live as part of this new family. And even those efforts, they still cannot guarantee that they will live like the new family. But God doesn't adopt the way that we adopt. 1 John Chapter 3, verse 1 says, see what great love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. We have the power to worship despite our wounds, to hope despite our hurt. And in the resurrection of Jesus and through our faith, the Spirit makes space in us to empower us this way. Because to worship, to hope, is our opportunity to tell the truth about God and ourselves. In worship, we are able to heal our souls. In worship, we are able to recreate our world. In worship, we are able to establish our hearts when they feel lost and disoriented. In worship, we don't give a place for evil evil to exist. 
In worship, we refuse to allow the reality of our world to eclipse the reality of God's kingdom. And this is the invitation that Paul offers us through this doxology. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your kindness. Thank you for the kindness of your word. Thank you that you give as you are. That you are good and you give good because you give yourself. God, I pray that we would take a hold of what you offer. That we would grow aware of your presence. And that we would extend that invitation to others. That we would make space for others to meet you through us. Grant us wisdom, gentleness, kindness as we navigate our world. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.